0: There you go, perfect. All right, so you didn't announce, I guess that was the last women's Bible study. Men, we have one more. We're, we're taking Thursday and we're making it Tuesday. So Tuesday, 6.30 a.m. at Dick Church's. Uh, love to have you there. That'll be the last one of that group. And then what we'll do after Easter is we'll be going back into uh, life groups throughout the, throughout the city. So if you had a life group, we'll be firing that back up again. So love to have you at that. Oh, we, We're taking questions now? Okay, Holly has a question in the back. Oh, statement. Okay, that will continue. I'll put a slide up for that so we know. Thank you, Miss Holly. They have a great uh, Bible study down at the beach um, on the on the island. I think it is um, every Wednesday morning. So that that is is powerful. Uh, oh, okay. We are in a series. Where did he go? He was going to help me. Oh, you're. What are you doing? You're like stem it's like. <laughs> That's scary. He's back there on his hand, on his knees here. It's going to help me. We're in this, if you missed last week, we're in this series. Um, and we're kicking off this series called Who's Eating Your Fruit? I'll explain a little bit if you weren't here so you have it and, uh, um, and we'll catch up. But what we said last week, let me give you a little overview. Setting the foundation of last week is this. Jesus said this in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Let me, let me pray right here. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. God, I pray that you'd give us clarity. I pray that you'd open our hearts, that we'd receive what your Holy Spirit would speak. God, I pray if anybody in here doesn't know you, that, that your word says today is the day of salvation, that today they would come into that saving grace and relationship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we said a few things last week. And, and who does the Father send us to? He sends us to others. He sends us to the world. He sends us out of these doors and into our places that we work, places where we live. And Jesus is very specific here. He said, you did not choose me, I chose you. Not only did I cho- choose you, but I chose you. To and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Very, I mean, very specific in what he says. And we asked three questions around this scripture. Number one, we said, who's eating your fr- fruit? And what we determined was this, everyone. Everyone you're in contact with is taking a bite out of your life, taking a bite out of the fruit that is coming forth in your life. Second thing we asked is, where are they eating? And we said this everywhere. At your office, on the ice rink, in, in, in your, your neighborhood, where you go pick up your dry cleaning, where you go get your coffee every day, where it, they're they're grabbing a hold of and eating fruit off your life wherever you are encountered. And then the third thing we asked was, what are they eating? And we use this, this, uh, these two trees is is rotten fruit or fresh fruit are, are what people are eating off your life is it sweet and and is it good and is it is it filling and and, and to the soul or is it that squishy banana that that oh, I hate the texture of of bruised banana I hate the texture of a bruised apple what are they eating sweet or rotten Good fruit is is love and joy and peace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Or bad fruit, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, dissension, envy, selfishness. Which one of these trees are people eating off your life? What do they taste? Today, I want to talk about the fruit of unforgiveness. What does the fruit of unforgiveness taste like to others? What does it look like in your life? And this is a, a, a very, uh, it can be a difficult for one for many people. Because one of the things that, that we like to walk in is in control. And when I don't forgive you, I have control, I think. I, I started doing some research on unforgiveness, and Dr. Schwartz says this. There's an enormous physical burden to unforgiveness and being hurt and disappointed. There's something that happens physiologically. Unforgiveness is not just spiritual, it's physiological. The fruit of unforgiveness produces an emotion storm of distress, of stress, of anxiety, of depression, of insecurity, and of fear. That's what unforgiveness does to us. The fruit of unforgiveness, unforgiveness also creates a hardened heart. The hardened heart feels anger and resentment, bitterness, and even hatred towards others. Unforgiveness in our heart can stir up hatred towards someone else. Now the lens through which we see unforgiveness, because when you have unforgiveness in your heart, the lens through which you see life changes. It's not rosy colored anymore. There's something that you see as you look through it. Unforgiveness comes to affect your judgment, your perspective, because the view of the world as through your lens is through pain or being hurt. It changes the way you see things. It changes the way that you see others. You perceive every wrong you encounter as a personal offense against you. Yet, Yet we don't talk about unforgiveness enough. How about unforgiveness and you and Jesus? Unforgiveness affects your spiritual life. It it, it affects your soul. It hinders you from spiritual growth. It hinders you from faithfulness. Unforgiveness builds walls. It puts this wall between you and God. Fear replaces peace and imprisonment replaces freedom when we have unforgiveness in our heart. Now here's the problem with unforgiveness. For too many of us, it's our friend. It's, it's that little, you know, that we, just, we have this pocket, this unforgiveness, and we just put it in our pocket. And it's what we walk around with. And it's what we think is protecting us. But in reality, it's the very thing that is killing us. And we hold on to that unforgiveness in our pocket because it is comfortable to us. We think that, how could I live or how could I ever forgive this person? Has anybody ever thought that? Okay, five honest people in this church this morning. That's wild. No, I know. On on some level, we all have experienced and thought about this and dealt with this. Unforgiveness in you and Jesus, you feel tormented by injustice. Where are you, God? How can this person get away with that? Oh, God, how can you let them do what they just did? And you feel far away from God. You feel less sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You feel angry with God because you can't understand how a righteous, good, kind, loving God would allow that person—fill in the blank, whoever that person is—fill in the blank—that God would allow that person to do this to me, this great guy. Now that sounds a little absurd, you know. But but let me tell you, that's how we think. This great guy, this great girl. How could God allow this to happen to me? I forgive everyone. I'm kind. Just ask Chris. I forgive everyone. Ten years. Was it ten? How long did it take me to say I'm sorry in our marriage? Six or, Six or seven. See, even better. Not to say to be the first to say sorry, okay? Let's go, let's be real clear. And in her wonder and beauty, she, even when it wasn't her fault, she would say, I'm sorry, to just get the ball rolling. And at that point, the Holy Spirit would kick my legs out from underneath me and I'd go, okay, it's Well, sometimes I would say it's me. Anyways, um, see, unforgiveness captures us. And we keep it in our pocket and we walk around and we hold on to it. Because you think you have control. What does Jesus say about unforgiveness? What is is Jesus telling us and want to speak to us about unforgiveness? Jesus says two things. He says many things, but I want to focus on these two things this morning. One in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk, by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, this scripture is is the Shema, it's the Jewish Shema, and it talks about what you do with family, how you raise children and how you walk with your family and and adorn yourself with all the aspects of loving God. And and one of those aspects that our children need to see, that they need to experience, that they need to hear and feel is, is forgiveness in the home. And it says right here that Jesus says on, on forgiveness, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. And then in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Old Testament, New Testament, he's confirming. He says this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law of the prophets. On these two commandments depends all the law of the prophets. On these two commandments, love God, love people. Everything hangs on these two. Love God, love people. If you get nothing else, love God, love people. And when you do these two things, fruit comes forth. Notice there are no qualifiers in this when he says love God and love people. Nowhere in there does he say, well, love me and love others unless they're a complete idiot. <laughs> love me or love others unless they lie to you. Love me, love others, unless they hurt you. He gives no qualifiers for forgiveness. Now, I want I, to pause one minute. And, and I want to pray, because right now, in the heads of some of, of us in here, there's things spinning. The Holy Spirit is going, hey, 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 John, hey, Chris, hey, whoever. There's something I want to deal with. And, and I, I, I want to pray right now, Father, that, Lord, whatever that unforgiveness is that, that we wrestle with, Father God, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring it to the surface, and God, that you would take it as we release it, Father, that we might be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus on forgiveness. Now, wait, we read two verses, love God, love people. Where did he talk about forgiveness? I mean, in both those passages, it doesn't say, love God, love people, and forgive them. Love God, Get forgiveness, love. No, but but here, here's what he said. Two things he says, love God, love others, but then he goes on in, in, in encompassing that what it means is this to love God is to receive forgiveness. When I come into a relationship, with God I receive his forgiveness. To to love others is to give forgiveness. So he doesn't say it in the, in, the, in the way that we think in Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22 that, that he specifically, but, but what's encompassed in that is forgiveness. I can't come into a relationship with God if I don't understand forgiveness. Receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. Uh, love God, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus pays the price for your sin and mine. There's a cost for your sin and my sin. The cost of our sin was this crucifixion. Crucifixion was used. We're coming on this Easter season, and and, and we're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks, and and we'll talk more about this. But this crucifixion, the most uh, just agonizing uh, death that anyone has ever received. It was, the crucifixion was meant for criminals. It was very torturous and excruciating, and, and nails and spikes were used to impale the victims. It says that their feet were joined together, or Jesus' feet was joined together, parallel, both transfixed by the same nail. So in other words, they, they come together, one nail goes through both of his feet. And where his leg, and his legs were adjacent, his knees were doubled, the right over the, overlapping the left, and the trunk was uh, contorted, and the upper limbs were stretched out, each stabbed with nails into the forearm. This is what all the while Jesus has a crown of thorns. According to Jewish scriptures, those who died by the crucifixion were under God's curse. You know what's interesting? You and I are under the curse of sin. We're separated from God because of our sin. Because of our sin, of what we have done. But God gives life through his son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God in his grace and his mercy... Understanding that we need forgiveness gave His Son that you and I might have life. To love God means this: to put my faith in Jesus, to receive His forgiveness that comes through the cross. What are we? we, I'm setting a foundation. You know why? Because too many in the church have rotten fruit on their lives and the world's eating it. You know what they're saying? If this is the Jesus that you serve the fruit of your life this this squishy banana oh gosh it just pains me to even, it just, that, that banana it, it, if that's what they're eating it's not who I am See, this fresh fruit that comes forth, comes forth from a man or woman who understands what God did for them. This, this harder banana, this solid, this apple comes from a man or woman who understands that they deserve hell, but God gives them grace. That they deserve to be separated from God, but God goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to send my son that you might have life, eternal life. Because of my forgiveness. To forgive and love others, Matthew 6.15 says this. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Very clearly, God says, how can you or how can I forgive you when you don't forgive others? Very clear. Why do we have such a hard time forgiving others? Why is it so difficult? I mean, look, they offended us. Well, for some of us in here, it's a lot deeper than that. For someone in here, they took something from me that can never be given back, you think. For, for, for some of us in here, uh, we've been hurt at such a depth that, that we don't think there's hope. That's why we have a hard time forgiving others. Let me argue something with you today. Your issue is not forgiving others. The issue is the category of one. And what's the category of one? The category of one is this. You think there's good sin, your sin. All the while, you also think there's bad sin, everybody else's sin. See, we categorize sin. And for some crazy reason, you and I have this mental thought that that our sin's a little bit better than theirs; that my sin doesn't quite smell as bad as Eddie's. And we know that it does. We have this category of one that you know I'm good here. You though? See, sin is sin. Sin is sin. I, I, the consequences are what vary. How, how do we know this? Sin is sin, period. It's separation from God. A white lie to your kids and a white lie to your boss can have two totally different consequences. It, you, 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 know, you, tell your, you, you know, you tell your kid that there's a Santa Claus. I'm joking. I don't want to take that one away. You tell your kids that, you know, I don't know. You, you, you lie, but, but you, you tell your boss a white lie. The consequences of telling your boss a lie is you could lose your job. The consequences of telling your, your young kid a white wife, they just probably don't even, won't even remember. It. Cheating on your girlfriend or boyfriend or cheating on your spouse? cheat on your boyfriend and girlfriend and you go, ah, there's another one out there, we're good. Cheating on your spouse? Not so much. Stealing a pen at work? Which I just caught my daughter doing, so... She was at my office spending time with me, and she had an array pen, David. I'm sorry. So I said, did you steal my work pen? Okay. The consequence of that, we laughed. It was funny. I'll make sure she brings it back. Um, And the consequences of stealing a car. See, sin is sin, period. But the consequences of your sin varies according to the offense. See, this category of one, we think our sin is better than others. And we won't say that, my sin's better than yours. But by virtue of how you live your life, you think your sin is better than others. By virtue of how you treat others, by virtue of your self, our self righteousness, my self righteousness, I think my sin doesn't stink. And we think things like this I would never fill in the blank. How could they ever fill in the blank? That is the worst thing that anyone could do. Fill in the blank. See, here's, here's bad theology. My sin isn't as bad as yours. It's not true. It's more the biblical theology is this, Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sin sins have hidden your face, his face from you so that he will not hear. He he, he said, "Your, your, your sin has separated you completely from God. Biblical theology. Your sin separates from your God. You will not stand before God someday and say, hey God, what about Jimmy's sin? I guarantee you, if God is God, and I believe he is, that he's just, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, he's all of these things, that he's holy, 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 as we have spoke about in the beginning of the year, that God is who he says he is. When you and I die, and, and, and we're standing before him, the last thing I'm going to do is go, well, well, God, what about Eddie's sin? His was a little worse than mine. Or What about, pick someone, I keep picking on you, but it's because I love you. It's easy, easy target. We're not going to sit before God. You know what you're going to be thinking about when you're standing before God? Oh, God, have mercy. What about my sin? When we stand before the Almighty, when we stand before the Holy of Holies, my mind is going to be focused on, oh, dear Jesus, have mercy on me. Not what he did or what she did. Biblical theology, Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 6:14, this is what it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Stop. Second time we've talked about this. That that scares me. And as I'm studying and as I'm reading I'm, I'm searching my heart, my God, is there anybody in there? Is there anyone I haven't forgiven? I don't. I know I need your forgiveness. I know what an idiot I can be. I know I need your grace and your mercy and your blood to wash over me. So is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Is there any unforgiveness in my heart that needs to be dealt with? Because God, I know. I know and I don't want to be dealt with the way that my sins deserve. At least we think that Jesus doesn't understand us or that he doesn't get it. You know, it's, it's so many times it's easy to, to grab the word and don't do and do and all these things. But, but John once says the word became flesh and, and, and everything changes. When, when Jesus comes and walks the earth, the game completely changes. All the law is, is embodied in who he is. So law and grace come together. And, and the perfect picture of what we're talking about right now is the life of Jesus and who he is. And, and some of you will be able to put yourself in each of these categories. Jesus on betrayal and forgiveness. 1 Corinthians eleven 23. We're getting ready to receive communion here in a few minutes. And it says this, that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed took bread. What, what does that mean? We, we taught on this a few weeks ago, but... On, on communion, but on the night that Jesus was getting ready to be t- betrayed, he knew fully what that meant, Jesus did, that he was going to the cross, that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to be, you know, beaten, that he was going to give his life. On the night that, that that happened, he's having Last Supper. He's having this meal. They've got Taco Bell and, and chorizo going because it's the last one. That's not, come on, that's kind of funny. That's all I could come up with. Jesus with his, his boys... He's hanging with his men that he's walked with for three years. Men that have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They've seen Jesus do incredible things. They've gone out and they have experienced and done incredible things. And it says this, that Jesus knowing, he's having dinner with them. It's an intimate moment. And the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, still took the bread. See, if it's me, I'm kicking you out If I know who my betrayer is, and I'm having my last meal, he ain't eating Taco Bell. He's out of this place. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and he broke it. It says this, as soon as Judas took the bread, his betrayer, Satan entered him. that's hard to process in your brain. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. Stop, pause for a moment and think about that betrayal. Have you ever your betrayer, whoever that is, whoever it is, I got one in my head, the betrayer, the one that's betrayed me. Uh, we all, we all to sit there and knowing that it's going to happen, go, okay hey, fill in the blank again. Go, go do what you're going to do to betray my life. But do, do it quickly. Don't think Jesus doesn't understand the betrayal you've been through from a, a spouse or from a boyfriend or girlfriend or from, from a, a worker or from whatever it is. Don't think that God hasn't experienced what you're experiencing right now. In the fullness of who Jesus was, he experienced the same pain, the same anger, the same righteous anger, not unrighteous anger best friends and forgiveness. <laughs> Peter, again, walking with Jesus three times. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Jesus is all, all of a sudden uh, getting, getting by himself. All these people that loved him now are, are turning into this place. Uh, who's that? Who's this Jesus guy? I don't know who he is. You ever felt alone like that? Have you ever felt like the, the one you love won't fight for you? You ever felt like the one that was supposed to love you and protected you actually hurt you, took something from you, that they'd had no right to take? The beating and forgiveness, John 19. And Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Jesus is allowing this the, the created to beat him. Truth and forgiveness. Have you ever been with someone and you know the truth? You know the truth of the situation. Yet you just you you just you take that beating. In, in 19 Jesus with Pilate and he knows the truth. Do you refuse to speak? Pilate said, "Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you?" All along, he know Jesus, known full well that you the only power you have is what's been given to you by me. So in reality, you have no power. But I'm going to submit that power to you. Jesus feels what we feel. He understands forgiveness, the created in forgiveness, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. This one, and I I use this one over and over again when I, so you probably heard it, but the only thing that I can, I can piece together that would help me to understand this a little bit is if when my children were two, four, six, and eight or whatever they were, that they got together. And after I'd cooked dinner and made a great dessert and, and, and after they're, you know living in a, a Orange County in a nice house and with, with two loving parents, after all that, they, they walked and marched by the table where we had just ate. And they look at me and they start cursing me out. You're a loser, Dad. Hey, Dad, that meal just absolutely... And it only happened once in our house, but that one time... Come on, that was funny. It never happened in my house. My kids didn't do that to me. And and Jesus is on a cross. And and, and the very created is is walking by and hurling insults at him. Hey, you, if you're really Jesus, come down from that place. I, I can't imagine at that table and my kids walking by and go, hey you, you're a terrible dad, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you, you can't cook, you can't do anything right, you're this, that, that. Again, in my flesh, I would take them out. <laughs> one by one and they would feel lots of pain and I would be in jail. Jesus and this, this, this understanding of who he is and, 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 and his forgiveness, it, it, nothing. Nothing. How do we know Jesus forgave? Because he said. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And and, and then he stepped further, he gives his life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus knows exactly the pain of betrayal. Jesus knows the pain of having something taken from you that wasn't supposed to be taken. He understands. So how did, how did Jesus forgive? How, how do I do this thing called forgiveness? How do I practically? Look, John, you don't understand what they did to me. Or you don't understand what they did to my loved ones. Or you don't understand what happened to me. And in many cases, I personally, I, I, I don't, I can't imagine and I've, I've, I've counseled people and we've walked with people through difficult things and hurts and everything from rape to molestation to uh, uh, kids dying and, and, and just, I mean, across the board, just absolute hell. And, and, and I, I don't understand all of it, but I know that Jesus does. And, and he wouldn't say, just forgive and, and paint with his broad brush. Just forgive. But he gives us a pattern. He gives us a hope. He gives us some, something tangible. And it's his life. How did Jesus forgive? 1 Peter 2, 23. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He doesn't take matters in his own hand. Look, I wish I could take matters into my own hands. I wish I could go give somebody a beating, like many of you do. I wish I could hurt them like they hurt me. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. How can I ever forgive? Stop right now. Fill in the blank. Some of you maybe not. If there's one person in here that needs this message, everybody else should be rejoicing. How can I ever forgive fill in the blank, whoever that is? It's oneness with the Father. It's being one with the Father. It says Jesus was one with the Father. See, because when Jesus is one with the Father, what he understood is this that his Father, as is said in Psalm 103, is just that his father is righteous. That that his father sees everything. Therefore, no one—let me repeat—no one is getting away with anything. See, when you put your trust in the one who is just, he continued entrusting himself to him. Who judges justly, you realize, Galatians 6 7, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever use one sows, he will also reap. Some of us are sitting in here today going, When are they gonna get their thing? How can I give it to them? When are they gonna get it? How are they gonna how is this equitable at all? Know that you know that you know that the Bible says God will not be mocked. There will be justice for all of us. But here's the thing. I don't want God's justice, because his justice says this, that I'm to be separated from him because of my sin. But in the beauty of this, he says, no, no, but I've given you my son, and if you accept my son, and you come into this place of forgiveness, and you repent, and you sit before him, and you give him control of your life, then I don't have to pay that price. See, here's the deal. Each one of us will stand judgment. You want to know, as will the ones who have hurt you. What does that mean? No one's getting away with anything. If if theologically, if if we really understood separation from God, here's what I know. You wouldn't even want your worst enemies to go to hell. Some of you do, but if you understood what that separation means—separation from God—no, God is good. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He's He's peace. He's He's patient. He's all of these things. Suck all of those out of the of the of the place. Hell. What are you left with? Perversion, anger, hatred, lying. Just all, that's hell if you could taste it for just a moment, just to, that you would be praying for your enemies as Jesus said to do. We'll all stand before God. And just as it appointed the man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Be careful what you're asking for. In other words, the Bible, the, the, the fruit of mercy and grace that should be coming forth from our lives is something that you want the unbeliever to eat off of. You want them to pluck it off of your life and and take a big bite out of it. You want people who don't know Jesus. You want people who are struggling with their sin. You want people who have never experienced forgiveness. You want people who have been abused. You want people who have been kicked. You want people that don't understand forgiveness. You want people that have no hope to grab the fruit of forgiveness off your life and take a big bite. You want them to taste Jesus. You want them to taste Jesus. That's the church. That's unforgiveness. We have two fruits here. We have a sweet fruit, the fruits of forgiveness. We have rotten fruits, the fruit of unforgiveness. Don't be deceived and think that you can have unforgiveness, unrepented forgiveness in your heart and produce something good. Don't, don't, we talk ourselves into it. We hold on to that unforgiveness. We put it in our pocket and it becomes our friend. And the reality is whether you like it or not and you don't see it because we're blind to it, we produce this rotten fruit. And, and, and our kids and our, our, our spouses and our friends, they, they, they may have some patience with us and go, "Oh, you know, but I'm telling you, they're tasting the rottenness of what's coming off of your life. There's no way around it. What are your family and friends and those who are watching you from afar eating in your life? They're eating. Everyone's eating off your life. But what are they eating? What are they eating? That's what matters. See, that that's why that the, the church is 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 the hands and feet of Jesus. That's how we impact this world. That's what he's ca- called us to. And, and, and if, if the fruit is rotten, what what you need to do is is, is, is you need to I thought I had a water thing up here. You need to water your life. You need to water with the word of God. You need to take that word. You want to know how to, to walk in unforgiveness? You need to take the word of God. and You need to wash your head. You need to wash your mind. You need to wash your heart and, and, and just bring some water to it. And you need to take it out in the sun and you need to pray and have this conversation with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and with God. And you need to the sun to, to take the water and, and, and bring up the nutrients from the fertilizer because the fertilizer is you worshiping in spite of what someone's done to you. In spite of the pain that you're walking in, in spite of the stuff that you have, and, and, and as you water it and as you bring it before God and the Son in prayer and conversation and worship, what happens is there's these little buds that start coming out. And they're sweet. If it's rotten from forgiveness, you need a Savior. If if it's rotten from unforgiveness, you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ, whom some 2,000 years ago went to a cross so that you and I can have everlasting life. It's crazy. I don't have to pay for my sin. He does. He does. That's the Jesus we serve. Everyone's eating. The question is, what are they eating off your life? What are they eating? What are they eating? I, I, I want to end with a, a couple thoughts around forgi- unforgiveness or forgiveness. This is uh, it's probably 15 messages in one today. I'm sorry. It's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant a lot here you can always go back and listen to it again on on the website but i, I just wanted it there's a couple things that i wanted to and, and one is this forgiveness is is an event and a process don't think that because you prayed a prayer once and said oh god i forgive them that that it's all over it can be but the event is the moment that you decide in your heart to forgive The process is what you do every time the enemy comes and reminds you of what happened. The process is you humbling yourself and going, Oh God, I'm gonna choose to forgive again. Oh God, I'm gonna choose to forgive. Look, the event is a difficult thing to step into. It's an event, it's big, it's you know, the bands and, and food, and you know, it's an event. And for some of us to get to that event, it's very difficult. But once you get to that event and you eat the fruit of that event, realize this, be assured of this. There is an enemy that is coming. There is an enemy that hates you. There's an enemy that wants to keep you in that unforgiveness. Therefore, you should know after the event of forgiveness of that person, the enemy's coming to lie in your ear and say, "Ah, remember what he did. Remember what she did. Remember what they said. Remember how they hurt you. Remember, no, 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 no. 2 Corinthians, and take every thought captive to the beatings of Christ, casting down every vain imagination. No, no, I'm not going to receive this. I already forgave. Jesus forgave me. I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness is an event and a process, and over time, as you walk through that process, as you renew your mind with the washing of the word, as you pray and as you worship, it just starts to dissipate. Number two. How often do I have to forgive? Seven times 70. Seven times 70. Well, let me me flip it on you. How often do you want Jesus to forgive you? (laughs) Every time. Every time. Third, forgiveness does not mean being walked all over. It does not. Matthew, Jesus commands us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It does not say you have to have a beer with them. It does not say that you have to invite them into your house. It does not say that you have to uh, play board games with them. There are boundaries. There are smart boundaries. There's wisdom. Forgiveness and boundaries many times run parallel to one another. And when you ask forgiveness, you may have to put some, you know, when you forgive someone, you may have to put some boundaries around you so that that person doesn't do that again. And it's hard. I know. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy. We're going to, as the band comes up, we're going to go into a time of Communion. And uh, we've got a time of prayer. I know Jeremiah, um, Andrea, Chris, maybe, I don't know, Cole, if you, uh, you probably, can you? <laughs> I don't know. Can you hear? <laughs> um, we're going to have people standing to the sides here that will pray for you. If you need prayer, let me, let me just say this. Don't not come because, oh, they saw me. They may think I have something going on. Let me just say, we all got something going on. Here's the reality. You're all jacked up. (laughs) But by God's grace, I have life. By God's mercy, I have life. And we're going to receive communion. And and we do communion regularly because of of these pictures. And and as as rotten fruit may be coming forth from your, your life because there's unforgiveness... Then, then communion, what it does is it resets everything to allow this fresh, sweet fruit to come off of your life. The beauty of communion is, is this, that, that all that, 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 that just came up that you had to deal with, you can release at the cross. And you can forgive and release people at the cross. And then Jesus says that He will also forgive you. So there's a cleansing that takes place. And when you come together and you grab that communion and you take that bread and you take that, that, that juice and the, the wine that represents juice and, and you receive it, you're, you're, you're believing and you're in faith saying, God, forgive me. And you're forgiving others. And we're releasing it, and you're going to leave it right at the cross. Search your heart before you come and receive today. Maybe it's not unforgiveness. Maybe it's something else. The beauty is that everyone that has a relationship with Jesus is welcome to this table. That they might have life. So as we uh, receive this morning... We, about three weeks ago, we, we talked about God a Holiness, and we changed our, kind of our, our communion stations. We have a station here, there, over here, and over here. And we did that because we wanted families. We used to have family, community, they'd get together and, and receive it together. And uh, uh, as opposed to me just administering here, there's, there's real bread that you can dip in the juice. Do not double dip. You can dip in the juice and receive and there are also cups there if you like to still use those, those cups. They're both there. But the, the whole point was a point of intimacy with our families. That you would receive communion together. Take a moment before you come. Examine your life. And see what God might be speaking. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these men and women. Lord, I thank you. Son, Jesus, that we might have life. Oh God, if there's any unforgiveness in my heart, God, just that you would bring it to the forefront, Lord, that I would release it in the name of Jesus. God, if there's anyone in here that is just holding on, that is struggling, that that has been hurt to the core, oh God, I pray your mercy and your peace that it would come over them and that as they released and as they forgave, Father God, you'd bring your your, your, your peace into their hearts and into their lives that they could let go, Father. That they trust you that you are a just God. Father, I thank you that on the night you were betrayed you took the bread and you broke it and you said this is my body that's been broken for you and you took the juice that represented your blood and you said this is the covenant that I'm making with you. God, and as we receive these elements, God, that you would, Lord, do miraculous things in our life. Father, I thank you for this day. In Jesus' precious name.